0: Hi, I'm Ali. And I'm Penny, and you're listening to Not Too Busy To Write. The podcast about writing, publishing, and creativity amongst life's many other demands. Hi, and welcome back to the third series of Not Too Busy To Write. Um, We took a little hiatus over Christmas and rested as much as was possible um, between Christmas and New Year with a handful of children in tow. So, um, yeah, we are back. Penny is away um, teaching at a retreat this week, but I am here holding the fort and I am absolutely delighted to be joined this week by Charmaine Wilkerson. Charmaine, welcome.
1: Thank you. It's really great to be here and have a chance to chat.
0: It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Charmaine is the author of Black Cake, which is out on the 3rd of February in the UK from Penguin Michael Joseph and is also out in the US and is also going to be a mini series as well. So it is an absolute pleasure to be able to talk about this book because I completely. Loved it. And it is highly likely that you have seen it on Twitter or in the bookseller or somewhere. It's popping up all over the place. Charmaine, can you tell me a little bit more about the book?
1: Well, it's a multi-generational story. So you really have two very basic timelines. So the story goes back and forth between the past, mostly the 1960s in the Caribbean and the UK, and the present day, mostly in California, but the United States and the UK and also Italy. So black cake really centers around brother and sister in the present day who are forced to come together and set aside their differences because their mother has just died. Their mother has left them a puzzling inheritance, a small black cake sitting in her freezer And of course, the question is why? Why the cake of all things? Then she also leaves a long recording on a USB pen drive in which she shares a series of shocking revelations about her life. But it's not just about, well, your mother has passed on and now you've found out all of this stuff about her past. It's really about how Byron and Benny, the brother and sister, are going to have to look at themselves their family, and even their culture and their relationships, and also how they're going to have to change their lives in concrete ways, because their mother will reveal things that will require action on their part. So you could call it a family drama, but it's multi-layered like a cake. And (laughs) black cake, the title comes from the name of a Caribbean fruitcake.
0: I absolutely love that. I love how the cake um, kept cropping up throughout the story. And it really is a story about um, generations and what we inherit, like you said. But I love that as well, because I always think that what we inherit, one of the things we inherit the most from our, particularly from our mothers, is food and is cooking. And so that the mother leaves this very puzzling cake as a jumping off point. Um, So how important to you was it that you kind of wove these stories together and how difficult was that to do? Because as I was reading the book, I realised that, you know, you're doing so much and it's very coming back to the cooking analogy again. Like the best meals always seem like they're quite simple to assemble. And the book is a beautiful book to read because the pace is amazing and everyone I've spoken to actually talks about the pace so this book is brilliantly paced but it is disarmingly simple you've got these two timelines and it reads so simply but I'm reading it thinking technically this must have been a very difficult book to write how did you go about the technical side of it you
1: know I um could say to begin with that I tend to write in a way that supported the basic structure of black cake, meaning I tend to write in what I call scenes, um, you know, short scenes. Mm -hmm. And then I don't always put them together in chronological order. And so black cake goes back and forth between the past and present, then it goes back and forth between different people. And then at a certain point, there are some new people (laughs) and then it keeps going Mm -hmm. back and forth. So it's almost as though, you know, you've got a game of catch and someone else comes over after finishing a plate of casserole or something and joins the game of catch. And now there are more people tossing the ball. So it sounds complicated, but it does come naturally to me to be that Mm. way. And I tend to think of it as mimicking conversation you know, you and I are talking, and you're telling me about your parents, and I'm telling you about my sister, and then along comes someone else, Penny, for example, and she starts talking about something, and then we keep going around and around, so mentally, for me, that works, but I think, again, it's a reflection of the way in which I write. Now, you use the term writing. Uh, we have to come into, we have to bring something else into the into the mix, and that is revision, editing. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that I did revise uh, the story. And when I reached the point where I actually had an editor, a publisher, which was just a wonderful experience, I had some amazing people who loved the story, but who would say, hmm, maybe you could tell me a bit more about this, or, hmm, would you consider taking Mm -hmm. those those three scenes about that? one person and maybe stitching them together. So Hmm. I really had support after the fact and it was a wonderful learning process that backed up what people often tell writers. um, And that is, there's the writing, but then a lot of the process of finalizing a story for readers is the going back and saying, okay, so here's my vision, here's my story. Could I tweak it here or there? So that's a technical thing. And there is no doubt that the editing uh, helped me. But the idea of writing in scenes does come naturally to me. Mm. And it was bolstered in recent years by the fact that um, I like to write flash fiction, uh, which is um, essentially a very, you know, flash fiction involves very, very short stories. Mm-hmm. And that I would say, influenced the way in which I started to put together this novel.
0: I think that really comes across because some sections, um, some sections are a page, half a page, they're so short, and you do so much with so little as well on the page there's, it feels like there's so much, there's so much subtext, there's so much happening underneath the words um, which is also fascinating because another refrain of the book is the sea and the sea keeps coming in and out of it as well and you're very concerned with the oceans that's one thing that stood out as well is that although it is ostensibly a book about families and inheritance it's very much a book about identity as well and a book that you very cleverly weave in a lot of current issues without ever um, shouting about anything. It's not a book, it doesn't feel like it's an issues-based book, but they certainly come into it, which and in such a lovely way. So at what point were you aware of kind of trying to nail the right tone as well for keeping the reader engaged?
1: Well, first, thanks for, for saying that. And I, um, I'm not sure that at any point, I felt that I needed to strike the right tone because, again, I do tend to be a person who will, I'll sort of follow the character, you know, uh, we use the term writer, we use the term author, we use the term crafting when we talk about this thing that we do, but it is true that at least in my experience, and I think I'm not at all the only one, I feel that it's more that I'm channeling a character. So yeah. so what is writing? Writing is maybe I'm sitting down and putting my hand on my laptop or taking a notebook in my hand or even using my mobile phone but the rest is the character sort of speaking to me and then me exploring Mm. the world with the character. Sure. Mm. Then you reach a point where you do some things consciously, but going back to your question, I think that, um, you know, this was a situation in which I'd sort of follow this character down the road and follow that other character into their head. And uh, then there's a conversation. Then I would go back again and maybe I would add a line or maybe I would, uh, press in a certain direction. I would say I was more likely to just, you know press down on the gas pedal a bit more in certain areas. maybe in terms of adding a detail or doing a little research to be sure that the direction in which a character seemed to be going emotionally reflected, something that was plausible. I, I call research mm-hmm. plausibility check, meaning if if someone, Benny, for example, had certain personal issues, let me just double check, and you know, I'm sure I read something about that. Let me make sure that that's mm. that seems plausible, even though this is Benny's life, you know, not the researcher's life. Mm-hmm. So, still trying to sort of swim my way back <laughs> to the question yeah. about um, deciding how much weight to put on issues. I just sort of followed the characters, mm. and perhaps in revision, I may have added, but. I would not say that I subtracted. Mm. I would say that I have a tendency, you know, and it's kind of funny because in life, I am a chatterbox, blah, blah, blah. And in writing many things I can write a lot, but when I write fiction, I'm often uh, one to omit certain information. So I do Mm. tend to hop from one stone to another as if crossing a river and then I may go back and add a stone because otherwise I'll lose my balance, and that's mm. a metaphor. Um, so I'm not sure how that comes across to you based on the kind of question you ask. but that's really, mm. you know, it, it, it kind of came naturally for me to hop from one subject to another, just as we do in conversation.
0: Mm. I love that idea of it becoming like a conversation or like you said earlier of throwing the ball because I noticed that at the end of chapters that very much feels like you kind of I think when you're little you play that game don't you in a circle where you throw balls to each other and someone has to catch it and throw it back and there's a real sense of you doing that to the characters quite often a chapter would finish in a certain way and then the next character would come in and kind of pick up the thread I very much saw it um as a weave, kind of as these threads going through and you kept adding to it and building and building. But I love the idea of the characters revealing themselves to you as you're writing um, the book. Did you feel that they at any point started to trust you more, that they kind of let themselves come to you?
1: I think that they, that, that is probably what I call exploration or discovery that yes, an idea would come and then later more information. And for mm-hmm. example, I won't go into the spoilers, but it's no secret that there is a murder in this uh, novel. And I was, you know, this novel was well on its way when all of a sudden, I mean, literally as if you had called me up and said something to me on the phone, alley, I went, ah, oh, now I know who did it. Really? <laughs> I knew that there was a finite world in which certain things were going to happen, but I didn't know right away who had done that because this isn't a murder mystery. It's not a thriller. It's a story in which because of a murder, some uh, decisions have to be made and some lives are changed and that will have repercussions going forward into the future meaning the murder takes takes place in the past and comes forward. So um, I would say things did happen that way. You know, I'd write the very first scene that I can remember writing in what later became a novel, because I didn't know it was a novel, was just this feeling and this image. And it was the two teenage girls living in the 1960s in the Caribbean Swimming and mm-hmm. swimming, pull, pull, pull out in the sea and the salt and the air and the strength of their bodies, and the knowledge that there was something about these girls that made them different from mm-hmm. other girls of their time. But as time went on, I began to see that this difference this extraordinary strength and this obsession with the sea and the attachment to the natural world would change these girls lives Mm. then as time went on I understood that it would change their lives in different ways we thought we think at the beginning that they will follow a similar path but in fact their paths will diverge but in each case because of this profound connection to the sea Mm. that's an example of how I discovered something about these girls who lived in the past and what would happen. Mm. To them.
0: So this is really really fascinating that you discover these things because I think there's different there's obviously many many ways to approach writing a book and everybody has their own method um, but you say you didn't know it was a book so how what was its genesis how did it start out
1: So I had that scene, and Mm -hmm. I remember, uh, what happens is, I don't know how you work, and I'd love to hear more from you also about this, Um, because I type fairly quickly. In the past, I was a journalist and worked in other kinds of communication, and I type very quickly, so it comes naturally to me to sit at the laptop and write things. They may be notes, they may be personal ideas, or they may be fiction. And then I just saved something in a file because I'm not always sure where I'm going. And -hmm. I have only written fiction on a regular basis with a real sense of resolve for several years now, even though I always wanted to do this. And so I wrote that scene and that was in a file. And then I had another scene about this youngish woman in her 30s living in the United States. She was a little quirky um, and... I had that scene, and then I started writing about other people, and these were scenes that could have been stories or not. The one about the youngish woman in the United States, I was sure that was a, some kind of short story. The one about the women swimming, I think I began to sense that I wanted to write more about them, mm. but I really had probably um, a quarter of this book in files before I was sure that this was a story. I said, this is a story. Wait a second, that woman is connected to those people. And wait a second, these people are from the same family. And then it just sort of took off, you know? So it's like-
0: incredible.
1: Well, I don't know. I think this might happen to other people, um, but we're Mm. all different. I'm one of the pantsers, you know, the people who write by the seat of their pants. But then you get to a point where you realize that, and I, this is what I do. I grab my, you know, notepad and a pencil and I doodle and I start Mm. mind mapping and I start saying, well, so that person is that person's daughter. And then, well, if that person is this age, then how old was that person? And when that person was that age, what about the brother and historically is that going to make sense what was happening historically at that time Mm -hmm. and so then you start getting into a bit of research because this book came organically from things that I'd seen or heard or uh, you know read about but then you have to do research sometimes Mm -hmm. you need to check the plausibility of what you're writing even if it's fable like and I do think of this story as having a just a tinge of a kind of a fable-like feel to it Mm -hmm. because of all the things that happen and because of those. We don't want to throw any spoilers out there, but you know that there are certain details which connect people in one generation to other people. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to say what they are, but they're just these little quirky details that you might think, ah, really? But they can happen in life and they do happen in this story.
0: I think that was the way it felt because towards the end, without giving anything away, you go quite into the very far past. Um, And that gave a real sense of connectedness with the present and obviously how we're all very connected and how everything influences everything else as well. So it does kind of give it the quality of fable at times. But I'm absolutely fascinated that you basically were flying by the seat of your pants at bits at the beginning of this book or before you realize quite what it was because it seems like such an organized book. Everything happens at perfectly the right place I gasped as I was reading this because there's something that happens exactly halfway through and you can open the book and see that this has happened exactly halfway through and it's so beautiful and I was thinking oh you must have had this immaculately structured before you set anything down so I love that you didn't this is really reassuring really good to know I think
1: no and if you would ask me well I have a, a copy of the final book oh this is a copy of the final book I'm going to stop just a moment and reattach my earphones. And um, I'd have to open it to look and see what the halfway point is. I have no idea what the halfway point is. (laughs) So it's interesting that you say that. And I do wonder, um, you know, since we're talking about this, you were talking about copy editing, uh, I think maybe over the winter break before we got on Mm -hmm. this recording. And I'm just wondering in your process, whether don't you ever do that don't you ever just write maybe a study or an observation or an idea for a fictional character but you're not it's not that you're saying okay fictional character a is going to be the center of a novel doesn't that happen to you that you're not sure
0: I am constantly not sure I'm never sure about anything um and I kind of everything is a way of trying something out I think I can't I'm very bad at sort of I can have a like an overview of where I want to go sort of like I want to get from here to there but I don't have a single clue how to do it or how I'm going to get there I need to write that to find out and I think that comes back to what you were saying that writing it is it really is a process of discovery and of uncovering and I can't do things without writing them first which means i don't know if you're similar but i am a redrafter and redrafter and redrafter i have to just write several drafts to get to what the final draft is going to be
1: oh i think well because i do write in a fractured way so i might um have these scenes and i might rewrite the scenes or expand the scenes or reorder the scenes And that might be what people call the redrafting but then yes i did you know i did say i would say i had three drafts done before i approached the person who became my agent because i'm publishing through a commercial publisher which you know you normally go through an agent and she was just wonderful and right away she said oh you know great great idea I suspect they're gonna ask you a couple of things about these characters. And they did, this, said, oh, we love this. Um, gee, we're curious about this or that. And it was more of a conversation. It was sort of like, what do you mm. know about Ali's parents? Or what can you tell me about what she used to, you know, who she used to hang out, whom she used to hang out with in, in high school or something like that. And mm. it was a kind of question of a gossipy kind of questioning that allowed me to expand in mm. areas on that draft but it didn't the the word length meaning the length of the book didn't change significantly it may have become mm. a little longer but i also cut some things and it's not that the basic story really changed but as i think i mentioned earlier there were times when you know the publisher who was just wonderful said hmm you know this is great we don't want to lose the back and forth uh, from mm-hmm. person to person or timeline to timeline which we enjoy but we're wondering if maybe since you're talking about that person if we could maybe stay with that person just a mm. little longer and what that meant was maybe piecing together two little scenes that i'd separated mm. originally and sometimes it was exploring a bit more because, as I mentioned, I'm more the type who maybe doesn't say enough mm-hmm. about a specific idea. And so I would expand a bit on it because I, I like mm-hmm. cryptic writing um, in the sense that if you and I are having a conversation, I might say, Oh, yeah, you know, you know that store down there, you know what they do. And if no one knows the store and you and I only know the store, other people might say, what store, what do they, but then if I say one word, it might just be enough for that third person to say, ah, I know what she's talking about. Yeah, I have a store like that in my neighborhood. So I tend to like to write that way. It's sort of, sometimes it's just a hint because you know what, the reader kind of gets it anyway. I'm a reader too, I might kind of get it anyway. So I think Mm -hmm. that is often my style with certain Mm -hmm. aspects of a story. Whereas in other aspects, I will go into great detail, you know, sort of sensory
0: detail. Mm. Yeah, I really like thinking of editing as this kind of conversation as well, I think, um, before you kind of Right a you can think that editing is that an editor is going to come in and they, they'll be subtracting or they'll be red penning and they'll be changing words and kind of tinkering on that very sentence level but that this is a conversation about how do we flesh this person out or how do we get from here to there and do you have to go back on your stepping stones like you said I think that kind of reframes it slightly as well
1: I have to say again you know I um there is a challenge with writing in this fractured way I think it comes naturally to me you talked about seeing something as a weave and that may be how you see um your story writing process I tend to see it as a wheel so wheel or you know the old pie charts I see a round Mm -hmm. thing and I kind of see it all at the same time so that if you see it all at the same time as if you're looking at an image, it might not be so strange to jump back and forth um, because I don't think um, only in a linear fashion. So you do Mm -hmm. move forward in time, but I'm looking at different parts. Um, But I, you know, it's, it's, there's no doubt that the revision process is so important And I reached a point in which I couldn't even turn to my writing buddies. You know, I have a couple of friends I trust so much who had seen a few of the early pages and I didn't even know how to go back to them and say, what do you think of this? Because it was to someone else fragmented and deconstructed. It wasn't to me, but how do you show a part of something? You have Mm -hmm. to show the whole thing if it's Mm -hmm. written that way. So I will say that the revision process with the support of the people who were willing to look at the whole thing, who already liked it, who were already invested in it, was wonderful. But it, it was getting to be a lonely process <laughs> until oh, then, wow. um, because I couldn't just say, look at this page. You don't need to look at the page. It's not the page where I needed help. It was more, does this whole thing hold together?
0: yeah that completely makes sense and describing it as a wheel is is a brilliant visual to bring not just to this book but to to writing i think and particularly when you're doing when you're using different bits in time because you do move through time and i had a real sense in parts of this book that you were, you were taking us both back in time and forward in time and you weren't always taking us right up to now. You've got sections that are called now. Um, and you weren't always taking us right back to then. We were sort of, it, it's very wheelish. That's the perfect way to describe it. But I don't think I'd seen time treated in the same way before. Um, the way that you moved us through time, I thought was very, very clever.
1: I interesting to hear from you. Um, you know, it is interesting to hear that comment. It's not something that was intentional per se, but, uh, but certainly the idea, and again, I don't want to um, delve into spoilers, but there is a secondary character Um, a child who lives in an orphanage you know this because you've read the book and she has this concept of the way in which the world works and what time means and what her existence means in the grander scheme of time you know the the earth and its life cycle and nature and I won't go any further but When you say that, I think of her, and I think maybe it's a little of that, the kind Mm. of, um, the idea that we talk about past and present, but in terms of the connections between these people from one generation to another, there is a kind of always present. Mm. Meaning if you were born in a certain year, Ali, and your mother was born in another year, but let's say you look just like her, then the past becomes the present becomes the past.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, there's something that is constant. Um, I'm fascinated by concepts of time, but no, I hadn't thought of it that way intentionally. And it's interesting to hear you say that you see time treated a little differently.
0: Yeah, I did see it treated differently. And also this idea of of loss as well, because obviously that's quite a big theme of the book, but kind of lost, balanced against gain and lives both lived and unlived, kind of, you know, one of your, the central character has a has a big rupture, I suppose is how you describe it in her life. And then it takes on a completely different course. Um, how, where did that come from, that idea? because it's just a brilliant one. I mean, the
1: idea of uh that person's life having to change course
0: completely Mm, just this you know because you've obviously got the the really strong image you were talking about earlier that was your starting image of the girls swimming in the sea and and then just this very I suppose a life that you don't necessarily you know when we're growing up we have this idea of what our lives will look like when we're older and obviously we all get it completely wrong Um, but some people live a life that is maybe easier to predict or has a sort of linearity to it um whereas the mother in this book has a very not stop start I don't know how would you describe it?
1: Well again we have spoilers um what I would say is that yeah you know you talked about rupture her her idea of what her life would be like was completely swept away um mm. and uh, but at the same time you know I think her life was not Any different from the lives of many people where you're just moving along, living your life, and then something happens and you don't expect Mm -hmm. it. But the fact that uh, these two girls in particular had such a strong connection to the natural world, great physical strength for young people, and also were very, um, you know, very single minded and mentally very strong as young people and as girls living in their times in the 1960s in the Caribbean, they, their destinies were linked very directly to this reality, the water, the swimming. So nothing turned out the way they expected, but it turned out the way it did precisely because they were who they were with this extraordinary ability it would have been someone else. Um, I mean, it would have been something else for someone else.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really fascinating. And I love all these relationships that kind of come together as you're throwing the ball between characters throughout the book. But I also really enjoyed how you do hinge it on quite a lot of real events. So um, there is, I don't think it's a spoiler to say at some stage there is a train crash. And I went away and I had to check because I thought, is this real? Has this happened? Um, And I think it was real, is that correct?
1: It was real, but the characters are fictional. Yes. So, and with no disrespect at all to the people who were involved in that real event, it's just that um, it was happening. And I actually went and looked up the research saying, this event, this event, this event, was there really an event? And I looked Mm -hmm. and I thought, "Mm mm-hmm. So, you know, we imagine things, but we imagine things that really do happen in the real world. Mm. Fortunately, sometimes they are devastating events, but things that we imagine might happen, they're happening all the time. And so I actually did the research and thought, aha, there you have it. On Mm. the way from location A to location B, this happens. And that's, um, I mean, a person, you know, I could have just left it imaginary, but I also find it interesting to anchor things Mm. because is this plausible? Did this really happen? Could this really have happened to someone?
0: I I feel the whole thing, the whole book feels exceptionally plausible. And I think that's probably because... it's such kind of universal themes as well um what right do we have to our parents lives how much do we need to know the minutiae of who they were before us or even who they were after us all of this I think that's probably I know that it echoed with a lot of people um in that acquisition stage I remember reading about this in the bookseller quite a while ago um, I'm being really excited for it. So it was an absolute pleasure um, to be able to read it. Um, how daunting have uh, the last few months been as a debut novelist in the lead up to publication? How's that felt?
1: Well, I think the, um, well, one, I'm just thrilled. You know, I'm, I'm really thrilled because one, I'm a reader. I love books like everyone else. And so it's especially exciting when you want to write to know that your story might reach other readers. Um, and I'm really grateful for this opportunity, but I would say that for the writing life, um, the most significant impact is, you know, I was day jobbing all the way through most of the revisions quite a bit, and I had a little routine to protect myself, and I I know you can relate to this with a busy household, and that is, you know, write first thing in the morning, get up early, write, do nothing else, do not look at the mobile phone, do not um, check, even the news, a former journalist here, do not even look at the news, do not do anything until a certain hour and then switch on and do the rest. And Mm. so going back to your question about how this has changed, it's the practical writing life and I'm still learning how to um, pull that back in, how Mm. to not lose the central fact in my life, which is I get up in the morning and I write. Because what will happen is there are all these other things that happen around the pending publication of a book. And, you know, you try to read articles and you try to inform yourself and other people may tell you, but you really have no idea. You know, Mm -mm. I really, really had no idea. And so I'm very deadline driven from my days in news and communication. You think, ah, Ali needs that. Let me get on it. So what would happen is I'd get up in the morning and I'd think, oh yeah, but they need that, they need that, they need that. Now I'm trying to remember that the people who need something may be there six hours behind me. (laughs) Let me take that hour and remember to write Mm -hmm. and also read and not lose myself in something that can be done later, just as Mm -hmm. I did the work that I owed to other people at a later point in the day. So I would say that when it comes to the writing life, that has been the biggest challenge. One fun thing has been reading. You know, you think, ah, oh, well, there are some preview copies of books of people I'm getting to know. Let me read those. Or I need to do a talk for librarians with two other authors. Let me read their books. And it's fun. But I'm also learning to pace myself in that area mm-hmm. as well. Because as writers, we love to read. You know, and you think, now, don't forget that if you are publishing a book, it's because you were writing, don't lose that. Because I would say that's the central part of my identity, you know, there are influencers or chefs or athletes who then write books. But I would say that at the core, I'm still the little girl who loved books who wants to write Mm. stories. And that's my way of handling the world
0: yeah it's so difficult i think that's one thing that doesn't get spoken about that much or that nothing can like say nothing prepares you for it you sort of think you know you have all this time to write a first book well not all this time but you somehow managed to get the time and then suddenly you know there's people who need things from you and you've got these all these things that suddenly need to get done and it just sort of starts to escalate which has been that's been the biggest i think learning curve for me just the last few weeks um yeah and i also need to try and claw back the the time because when on earth you write the second book or when do you remember that you're a writer and that you can write sentences um that are vaguely coherent
1: yes and i think also for for someone like me who does write in all these scenes and i do kind of need to live in that fictional world a bit i think it's important to not lose that sort of magical connection Although this time around, it's interesting. I think that I have absorbed some lessons from having worked with um, the publisher and even an agent. And so, you know, I have little notes and, and I look at my files a little differently, but it's still that process as mm. I continue to write. I just write and then I say, what am I doing with this? But then maybe I'm grouping things a certain way. Um, and I, I will say that probably more than anything, and this is only talking about me now and not the reader and not other writers, I would say that uh, that it is a gift when you know that someone would like to publish your story because they want to publish your story and they too are readers. And so there is a lot of positive energy. It's not always this way for every single person, but I think in general, the joy of the process, even though I may feel a little daunted at at times by what's happening is the the constant discovery of just book lovers just people who love to read and people who love to write and people who want to help and so that's another thing that I want to hold on to and to remember to somehow keep passing that down Mm -hmm. because you know you write on your own you don't know if someone will publish or maybe someone doesn't want to publish a story and you think ah but you know, you can't always have that Mm -hmm. But you must hold on to the writing, you must hold on to the story, you must hold on to the fact that writers have an opportunity to offer something to other readers and other people, Mm -hmm. um, just in terms of maybe affirmation of their emotions. It's not that I set out to do that, but I know that it it happens to me when I read a book.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So to not lose the connection with that, because in the end, Mm -hmm. That's what I have to offer. You know, the rest, all of that other stuff that's happening is happening because there are some amazing professionals who are very well organized and trained and know how to support writers. Um, mm-hmm. And that's their gift. And I try to to meet them halfway, mm-hmm. but in the end, all I really can offer that maybe someone else can is my own version of the story of our lives because that's what each one of us is doing as a writer. Each writer is kind of offering a gaze on the story of our life or the stories of our lives. You know, Um, it's a way of, of processing the world.
0: And that's exactly what your book does. And it's lovely to hear you say it and to talk about it because that is what you give. Um, I don't think I had cried as much when I read a book, and not necessarily, it's not, I wouldn't say it's a, it's not like a hugely sad book, but it's a very emotive book. It's a book that makes you think, that makes you think about other people's lives and your own life, about other people's families and your own family as well. Um, and I cried, last time I cried this much when I read a book was Maggie O'Farrell's Hamnet, which just, made me weep.
1: (laughs) Well I'm honored by your tears. (laughs) (laughs) Yes you know emotion because it's fiction. In fact I come from a family that is multicultural that has moved around and I'm always thinking about things like identity and shifting concepts of family and a home and certainly those underpinnings helped feed a story like black cake. But the story itself is made up it's just that we access real life emotions either mm-hmm. ours or others things we've read or seen or heard um and you know of course the black cake I don't know if I told you about the black cake that my mother made a legendary black no.
0: cake so yeah she, fine. yeah. Um, she, No, 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 just a friend. So I I got this proof from Penny. So I think that Penny must have eaten the cake that came with it. But um, a friend who's also on Penguin, Michael Joseph, Jodie Chapman said, did you get the cake? Because she said the black cake was amazing. And I was quite upset because I've never had black cake either. So I need to search it out.
1: We need to get that organized because, yes, um, I too hadn't even had the black cake that was sent out. The bl- I should We should explain that um, the publisher in the UK had this brilliant idea to send out little samples of black cake from a London-based um, rum cake maker, Doreen's, um, because also one of the things that the story does is make the connection between this traditional Caribbean fruitcake cake. And it's historic roots. I mean, it's basically Mm -hmm. English plum pudding that has evolved over time and become something a little different. And it still represents holidays and celebration and family togetherness. But in between is this whole social evolution um, for better or worse, you Mm. know? What happens between the UK and this island in the Caribbean over time? How in the world does that happen? And so it brings in social issues and political issues and economic issues, beginning with the idea of colonialism. But when you fast forward to the present day, you have this wonderful cake that in and of itself is just joy. You know, you either like it, no, you either don't think much of it or you love it. (laughs) Mm. And and so uh, my mother made a legendary black cake and a younger member of my family, sent me a text message on my cell phone several years ago, saying, do you have your mother's rum cake recipe? Because we call it rum cake or plum pudding in my family. And that started me thinking about the ways in which we inherit identity, Mm -hmm. uh, a sense of family, and also culture. And you said this at the beginning, the idea of food, because food is like a carrier. Yes, we eat food for sustenance, we eat food for comfort and pleasure as well, if we're fortunate, but ultimately food is a kind of carrier of stories, yeah? Mm -hmm. Food brings stories to us from other generations and other regions of the world. And so I was writing this novel and at a certain point, the black cake just sort of popped up. I did not set out to write a story about cake or with cake or with black cake. And it was fascinating to see that happen. And I definitely knew I had this novel by then, but I already thought I had a novel and this black cake just sort of walked in and said, how about me? I'd like to be a character too, you know? And it, um, and so it was fun to see that happen, but it really tied in emotionally hmm to more serious issues of how do mm-hmm. we inherit things? How do we choose which stories help to define us? And what mm-hmm. happens with the stories that are not told?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, how, is, are we, yeah. exactly, sorry, I, how are we, exactly, sorry, but how are we formed by what's omitted or mm-hmm. not told, not only at the individual level, but also at the broad cultural level? Many writers are exploring that now but uh the cake was one way to sort of symbolize that
0: it's so clever there is so much going on in the book and there is so much that i could talk to you about i could just keep asking you questions and talking to you about the book one thing um that i would like to know before we kind of wrap up is how long roughly did this take to write then
1: Well, I was day jobbing, so I'd write early in the morning for a little bit. Um, I would say that I sort of wrote it over a year and a half in bits and bobs. um, Because my first file that I mentioned before I knew I had a novel, go back to uh, maybe late 2017. Then I remember I realized I had this idea for a story. um, And then it grew from there. It grew from there. Uh, So I wrote it over about a year and a half, and then spent another year in between other things revising, you know, back and forth, doing other things. And then someone would say, how about this? Um, So it's been an interesting process. It's true when they say that writing is only part of it.
0: Oh, my goodness, it really is. At what stage did you feel that you were ready to take it to an agent?
1: Well, you know, I foolishly thought I was ready <laughs> probably a year before I was, but I really <laughs> just finished um, the first full redraft, meaning I had written the story and I'd gone through it again. And I thought, oh, I'll show it to a couple of people. And they were interested and, and made um, positive comments. So that was encouraging. Then I found this particular um, agent in the midst of lockdown, And I was just thrilled and I had already in the meantime, tinkered with it again, Mm. but it was changed again. You know, the basic story's there that it's still that story, but then it was really polished. And I really want to sing the praises of those that um, you know, when you have another pair of eyes and another pair of kind and caring eyes to, to look and say, you know, it's sort of a bridge between what you're doing in your own head and other readers, you know, because you can never look at your own work as you would um, when you're just reading someone else's work. You'll never be able to do that again, you know.
0: No, it's completely different. I think that's really, for me, when it, felt that things changed so much was when I got my agent and he was looking at it and suddenly it it felt like such a relief as well to finally have somebody else who was invested and who wanted to make it do well and suddenly yeah there's, there's just someone else there it's not you kind of writing in a room with no idea if anyone's ever going to read it or not there's a certain kind of tenacity that's needed I think to to get to that stage.
1: That's so exciting. Uh, Speaking of new writers and people who are getting the chance to publish uh, books, you mentioned Jodie Chapman. And um, the first live event that I did, because I've done other events virtually, but uh, of course my book is just coming out now, so I haven't done that much, but I had the opportunity to go to Cheltenham, the literary festival um, in October at a moment when that was possible. And I met Jodi Chapman. And then I read Jodi's book and I just loved her story. And it was just so full of heart. And what I love about stories is that, you know, she writes about these people who in theory are nothing like me. And I just loved reading her story. And it's interesting because very often we say that, especially people from multicultural backgrounds like mine or people of color, you know, there is this need to sometimes see a character reflect what you look like or what you sound like Mm -hmm. or some of the quirks of your own family. It is important, especially when there's social issues out there. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the joy of reading is knowing that if the emotional connection Mm -hmm. is there, you can read about people who bring something new into your life. You know, people... You don't think are anything like
0: you. That's what I absolutely love. I think I read to see people who are not like me rather than read to see myself reflected. I'm really interested in seeing different perspectives on the world and different ways in. Um, I interviewed Jodie, we spoke to Jodie last year on the podcast, and um Jodie's book was particularly interesting to me because I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness, which is what my book's about. So although I do read to see other people's experiences with Jody's book it was this like finally finally this is being brought out and people can see what that experience was like as well so um yeah I loved her book
1: and it was nice because you talked about the idea of you know really placing the focus on one social issue or another I think her book does a good job of bringing in a bit more you know a sense of conflict a young person might have in reconciling the way in which they were raised and the way they feel in their hearts with new emotions and Mm -hmm. new things, and trying to decide how do I move forward what is the right compromise or pathway for me and I think that is a universal issue Mm you know you're raised a certain way you also feel very close to a certain way of living but as life brings new experiences how do you find your path you know forward in life so I was very touched by that
0: Mm, it was a really touching book and I think your book is similarly touching and deals in to a certain extent with those kind of similar universal issues as well as that the main protagonist has to keep kind of finding her momentum and finding her way through life and and continuing on Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you about it I've loved it usually at this stage we would talk about what else we've been reading so have you been reading anything that you can think of um recently
1: right so I mentioned Jodi um Chapman's book, but I read that uh, last year. Right now I'm finishing up Beautiful Country by Ken Julie Wang, which is actually a memoir but reads like a novel. Um, I've also already begun, although I should not admit to reading a couple of books at the same time because it can be distracting. I've begun um, uh, Soshil Gonzalez's Olga Dies Dreaming. And last year, I just read a variety of books that I really loved. I loved um, the final revival of Opal and Nev by Donnie Walton, which in terms of structure is a little unusual. It seems like sort of a a rock documentary only in words. Um, And it, it is both funny and touching and also dives into a couple of deeper social issues. And I loved Malibu Rising, which is by Taylor Jenkins Reed. And uh, this book is all about these, you know, gorgeous young people who, you know, one's a model and they all surf and they're the children of this really famous guy and they live in Malibu, California and it really has many of the elements that you might say oh aren't these fun it's kind of like a soap opera but the truth is this was an interesting story that borrowed so deeply into issues of loving a person and falling short um wanting to nurture other people but not taking care of yourself you know things that are universal to families and, and, you know, parent-child relationships, sibling relationships. And I actually felt that this was a book that, um, you know, it dug very deep and you wouldn't have expected it, but it mm. also has physically this beautiful kind of rhythm. So when you think of this story in which the protagonists are all kind of glitzy and stylish on the surface, you also have a storytelling rhythm that I find very interesting because I respond very well to the rhythm in language. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, I don't want to say anymore, but for example, the opening of this story I love. And then when you get to the end, it's like a poem with a refrain Mm -hmm. and it closes. But I think that's true of a lot of books we love, um, isn't it? You're reading and then you're just trundling along and then you get to the end and you see the whole thing Mm -hmm. and it's come full circle in some way emotionally.
0: Yeah, I love it when the kind of the full book reveals itself to you once you get to the end. Mm -hmm. I read um, Gabrielle Krause's Who They Was last year, talking of rhythm and the first page of that, I don't think rhythmically I'd ever read anything that grabbed me just immediately jumped. It was like actually being grabbed by the throat buy a book it just viscerally just kind of the rhythm of it just got me it was just absolutely incredible how that happened um yeah it just absolutely got me but what a brilliant collection of books and what a brilliant achievement you've done what a great book you've written oh so, um, thank, thank you thank you, so much.
1: thank you congratulations to you and your writing life now I have to get a hold of your book and read it
0: <laughs> well, it is out in July. Proofs should be out quite soon. So, yeah, everything is moving along with that. But as for you, yours is out on the 3rd of February. Is that correct? I am right, I'm I? That's
1: right. It's on um, the 3rd of February in the UK and Commonwealth and the 1st of February in the US and Canada.
0: Well, all the best with it. I'm sure you will be very busy. And I really, I just can't wait for people to be able to read it
1: oh thank you and thanks for giving me the time to talk you know it's wonderful to talk to another writer too it really is so uh, it's been a pleasure
0: brilliant thank you so much thank you you've been listening to not too busy to write with ali miller and penny Windsor. you can buy all the books recommended on the podcast at uk.bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash not too busy to write where a portion of each sale goes to support independent bookshops around the country. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe or follow. And please, leave a review. It really helps others to find the podcast.